right? Last week, Ben brilliantly brought uh, brought a, a passage to us about how Jesus told a really brutal story, if, I, if I'm honest with you, where Jesus was telling a story to the Pharisees. And to cut a long parable short, it told the history of the Jewish people ignoring and physically punishing God's messengers but also looking forward to the point where the Messiah would come, where the Son of God would come himself, and they would absolutely just ignore him and and kill him. And the Pharisees are sitting here going, he's saying what now? And they were livid. They were absolutely livid. But they were too scared to do anything right there and then because the crowds, there was Jesus followers there, and they loved Jesus, and they loved his words, and they were too scared of, of the crowd. And that's where we find ourselves today. So let us read Mark 12, verse 13 to 17. Uh, it's there somewhere. Um, I will read it. Does anyone need a Bible, by the way? There's Bibles at the end of the, of the, the kind of the rows. Shove your hand up in the air if you want one right now, and we can pass one down. And if you do not have a Bible, by the way, go and take this and take it as a gift to you. We don't want it back. Right. That one's for free. Here we go. The Word of God. Focus. 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 Later. So this is just after that period, uh, just after that parable. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. The Gospel of Luke actually says they sent spies. And they came to him and said, teacher, or maybe if it was spies, it should have been teacher. We know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others. Because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with truth. Is it right to pay? Is it right to give a choice, to have a choice, to openly choose whether we should do this or not, whether we should pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? Sean, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought, brought him a coin. And he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. I just want to say one thing about that. The word that Jesus uses changes in the Greek ever so slightly what they had said to him first. They had said, should we have a choice? You know, take it or leave it. Do you want to pay a tax? Do you not want to pay a tax? It's up to you. But the way that Jesus says the word back to them is it's like it's an obligation to pay for something that you've received, like for a service that you've taken or that you've used. There's a subtle change there. And they were amazed at him. So let me set the scene a little bit. We could probably have the next coin slide up just to show you what they were looking at here. That is a Roman denarius. That is worth about one day's wages. But let me set the scene and introduce the players in the story today. First of all, we have the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders. They were concerned with spiritual purity as the law stated it to them. They were focused on this. Dare I say it, they were obsessed by this. But rather than being an internal cleansing like like it was intended to be, they were actually focused on the external appearance of holiness and not the internal. They focused on externally obeying the law. And they didn't really like Jesus because he exposed their hypocrisy, not just to the crowds around them, but to themselves. Then we have the Herodians. 
these guys, they were also Jewish, but they were less religious and more politically minded. And they followed the family of King Herod. Remember the guy who told the wise men where to go? And remember the one that John the Baptist was having a go at and was challenging? Him. They followed him. And he had been in power. However, his son, Archelaus, he kind of messed things up a little bit and kind of accidentally caused a bit of an uprising. And so Rome had to step in. And when Rome stepped in, they banished Archelaus and they took Herod's power away from him. So he was still sitting there on a throne, but there was no power. And Rome installed a governor in, in their place. And Rome, at that point, put a tax, an imperial tax, because obviously who's going to pay for the, the governor and all his expenses? So they put the tax in place. So the Herodians didn't like Jesus because they thought that with his gaining momentum, and if you think back to the... Uh, uh, was it Andy that, that preached on the, the triumphal entry? That was huge. Everyone was, was worshipping God. There was this momentum building. And the Herodians thought, hang on a minute, Jesus is going to cause another uprising here. And the little power that we are clinging on to as Herodians is going to vanish. They didn't like Jesus very much. And then although the, the story doesn't say this precisely, but there's another factor called the zealots. One of Jesus' disciples was Simon the Zealot. Who were they, you ask? I'm glad you're asking. They were a bit extreme. They were the ones who just did not like Rome at all. They didn't think they should be there. They were the ones who were like trying to go, like, okay, like, what can we do to, to possibly depose Rome? These tiny, small little group of people and the Roman Empire, never going to happen, but they were passionate about it. They did not want to pay this tax. Why should they? They were a little bit extreme, and the scholars of our talking around this passage, they'd be saying that the crowd, the Jesus followers, would probably lean towards that kind of thinking that we don't really like Rome. And it's this melting pot of political views and of oppression by the Roman Empire that we find ourselves in today. And Jesus being approached with this question. If Jesus says, yes, pay the tax, then the zealots are up in arms. They shout about it all, and it drives a wedge between Jesus' followers and Jesus. So what's the result? If he says yes, that Jesus' followers abandon him, and they win. If Jesus says no, don't pay the tax, then he's accused of treason before Rome. And he's at very least beaten up and thrown in jail, and at worst, he's killed by Rome. The result? Jesus is out the picture. They win. So are they trying to trick Jesus into tax evasion? Is this the moral of the story that we're about today? Should we pay our taxes or not? If it was, my sermon would be easy and I would flash up this thing here and we'd all go home. Now, as much as the passage is the beginnings of a theology around submission to authority and obeying our government leaders, regardless of what we think of them personally or what their moral compass is or their decision-making. That's not the biggest picture of what we're reading today. This is what God's saying to me. You know, Benjamin Franklin, one-time president of the United States, he said these words. In this world, nothing... It can be said to be certain except death and taxes. If you're taking notes, that's point one. This morning, 
I want to, I do want to talk to you about about these. I, I've tongue in cheek kind of titled my slides "Death and Taxes." That'll change, but I want to talk about these things. I want to show you why the people were amazed. So we'll talk firstly about the tax question, but then in particular how it relates to one death. And I hope you can see where I'm going, because <laughs> I don't. Okay, a little boy was saving up some money. Let's say that his name was Cullen. And he wanted to buy a very large piece of Lego called the Death Star. And he was saving really hard because he really wanted it. And, and he, had, he had almost everything he needed to get this Death Star Lego thing. And he just had £100 more to get. Because this is quite an expensive bit to get this. And he just had £100 more. Sound familiar? Now, this little boy said, I know. I'll ask the Lord for the money. So he writes a letter to God. And he says, dear Lord, I could really do with this £100. And he puts all his poetic, you know, oh, I really need this. This is going to be so good. I want this. And he puts it in the post box. Now the post office get this letter, don't know what to do with it, but their heart breaks for this little boy and they think, this is really good. So do you know what they do? They get it into the hands of 10 Downing Street. And Theresa May opens up this letter and is so touched by this little boy's appeal that she instructs her secretary to put £20 in an envelope and send it back to the little boy. The little boy is delighted because, okay, it's not the £100, but do you know what? It's a lot of money for a little boy. And so he sits down to write his thank you letter to God. And it says something like this. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the money. However, it appears that you had it sent through Westminster. And as usual, those idiots took off £80. <laughs> the very definition of tax is a, is a burdensome obligation. And I'll admit, I wish that at the end of the month, the HMRC money would stay in my account. I will, I will say that. But what amazed the crowd was the imagery that Jesus used to diffuse the situation. You can click onto the next slide. We'll go back to the coin. There we are. The imagery that Jesus used. Whose image is on the coin? Caesar's. Then give to Caesar. What is Caesar? Now remember the different word that Jesus slipped in in his reply, saying that it's not a take-it-or-leave-it choice, but it's an obligation to pay for the benefits they receive. As much as I've admitted that I want my tax to stay in my account, I get my rubbish taken away and dealt with. I have access to the NHS. My kids are educated. You know, my sister has just moved to Houston in America, and her kids need to go to uh, a brand new school, and they need to get shots. They need to be inoculated to go to school. Because, of course, we're from the motherland, and you never know what kind of diseases that we pick up here. And so they need to be inoculated before they go to school. But she no longer has access to the NHS. So she has to now go to the open market and try and buy these inoculations. And they are costing a fortune. I'm starting to thank, be thankful for my taxes going towards the NHS right now. Okay, point taken. Jesus, thank you for that. Caesar's in charge. He's ruled that a tax should be paid. And after all, what had the Romans done for them? Well, they'd given the Jews access to a global, uh, a global currency system. Aqueducts. 
irrigation techniques, techniques even, roads, security, peacekeeping, medicines, engineers, education, sanitation. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, and give to God what is God's. There's an image stamped on the coin that is Caesar's. You're obligated to give to Caesar what belongs to him. And Jesus continues, and here it comes. There's an image stamped on your heart. In fact, your whole being, your very life, bears his image. Your life belongs to him. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. And it was very good. Of course it's very good. You look like your dad. In the midst of the trap, Jesus points to the Jewish nation and asks them if they remember who they were created for. They were the chosen nation, set apart to be different from the people around them. The very word Pharisee actually means separated ones, set aside, created by him, for him. And they were amazed. Like the Pharisees and the Herodians were trying to drive a wedge between Jesus and his followers, humanity was tricked with deceit and half-truths to drive a wedge between us and our Father. And they come along and they say, Truth, you are a man of integrity, of honor. They say, Truth, you aren't swayed by others. They say, Truth, you teach the ways of God in accordance with the truth. And then they say, Trick question. Is it right to pay the burdensome tax to our evil overlord and unwanted ruler Caesar? Or should we bend to his will and grudgingly pay the tax if we don't want to pay? Does that tactic remind you of anything else, perhaps? Genesis 2, verse 16 says, Truth. God's voice, you may eat from any tree in the Garden of Eden except only one because it has dire consequences for you. Genesis 3 verse 1, trick question. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He's twisted the lie all the way around until it sounds like the truth. And when Jesus was tempted in the desert, Satan comes to him again. Because Genesis 3, that was the words of Satan. But when Jesus is tempted in the desert, Satan comes along again and starts speaking truth again. He speaks scripture to Jesus. And eventually he says to Jesus that he could shortcut the saving of the world thing. Jesus would gain the worship of the whole world if only he would worship Satan first. If only he would worship anything, anything other than the one to whom every knee should bow and every tongue will confess. And Jesus says these words, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Satan had tried to drive a wedge and shortcut everything by using a truth and then twisting it around. Give to God what is God's. Why should we? Why are we obligated to that? If we could go to the next slide. We click. Maybe one more click would do it. There we go. There's the wedge of sin coming between us and God. On the left-hand side there, we've got some words. You know, 
when they came to look at the taxes in that back in the day, the aqueducts and the education, the sanitation and the med medicine, they were the benefits of, of this tax that they were paying. Never mind Caesar, forget not his benefits. That's Psalm 103. Forgiveness, healing, security, peace, restoration, strength, justice, compassion, grace, love. That's one chapter of one book out of a God-breathed library of benefits and promises. Go and read Psalm 103. But Psalm 103 is pre-cross. In the psalm, the writer points forward and says, He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. It's always pointing to Jesus. It's pointing to the cross, the king on his cross. And Jesus here in our passage today knows that the cross is fast approaching. He's on that road to the cross. And now, that column there, sealed. Sealed in by the blood of the Lamb. We now have the promise of eternal life in God's presence. And this is the crux of what I'm trying to say this morning. That there's a wedge that still tries to come in and stop us from getting to God's presence. Do you know, if you're, if you're steering a boat, you just need to be one degree off and you'll end up miles away from you need to be. One degree is nothing. But at the end of the journey, it's huge. What are those truthful sounding words that just get whispered into your ear? Or actually, your own internal monologue. You know, the Pharisees, they would have known, they, they, they should have recognized Jesus as their saviour. And yet, they missed the mark. They, they, were, they saw their own hypocrisy. And it just, you know, we know our own internal workings. We know our sin. We know our weaknesses and our failings and our insecurities and we magnify them ourselves. We don't need any outside influence most of the time. And it just whispers to us. And suddenly, we're just slightly off course. What are the things that are whispered into your life that just take you away from worship of God and his presence? I'm trying to get in shape. You are in shape, you say. Round is a shape, Mark. I'm watching what I eat. I'm exercising. But you know what? I'm not really losing terribly much fat right now. So I may as well just eat cake, hey? I know this is a shallow example, but it hits my self-esteem. Do you know some life goals are longer to accomplish than the here and now? And it takes a little while just to see the results as you would want them to be seen. Mark, your kids are amazing. Look how handsome they are. Truth, yes, they are. They are so handsome. I bet you never raise your voice to them in anger. I bet you never shout at your kids, Mark. You're a pastor. Oh, you do? Oh. I thought, I thought you were meant to be a man of God. You shout at your kids. What's happening here in my head 
there's a widening gap of insecurity that's apparent, as every parent probably has, and insecurity that they're doing a good job or not. And if I start focusing on that, I'll hit that. It's like when you ride a motorbike. If you look at the curb, you will hit the curb. But if you look through the curb, and through the curve, and if you look to where you want to go, that's where you'll end up. Don't focus on the things that are being whispered to you. Do you know the Bible app? Hands up if you use the Bible app. If you don't know it and you want to know about it, come and ask me later. It is brilliant. I can read the Bible wherever I want. If I'm on a bus, if I'm on a train, if I'm in a meeting. If any of my bosses are listening to this, I haven't done that. Just uh, maybe just come back. Those reading plans are so simple. They're brilliant, aren't they? You can, you can be kept up to date. You can be kept accountable. It will ping you emails to say, uh, you haven't read your Bible today. It's brilliant. It's so accessible. It's there. You didn't, you, you didn't manage to read it for a couple of days, Mark. Hmm. Don't think you should pick it up today. I mean, if you haven't read it in a couple of days, you probably need a couple of days of repentance first. You probably just need to mourn a little bit before you pick up the Bible again. And before you know it, before I know it, the judgment that I place upon myself keeps postponing the picking up of the Bible moment because I magnify my own guilt. We listen to the lie that says God remains static whilst we walk away from him. And that if we ever turn around, that we've got this huge journey to come back to him. It's not true, it's a lie. Mark, you're on antidepressants. You're a pastor. Jesus is a healer. How? Like, truth, truth. How can you possibly put those two things together? Does God not care for you? If he's the healer and he's not healing you, and you're still on the medication, what have you done to put yourself in this spot? So I repent. I try and put something, what is it that I've done wrong? That's made my head not work as as well as it should do. And no matter what I repent of, I still need the medication right now. I can't fix my, my situation. So what does that mean? God... God must not love me. Lie that stops me from accomplishing something. What trips you up in your life and distracts you, that wedge? The words of the enemy that turn you away from following Jesus and and actually giving to God what is God's. Romans 12.1, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Our challenge is one of sacrifice. To choose, regardless of how we feel, not to listen to those words. Effectively, you fall off the horse, you get back on the horse. You make a choice. So let's come back to a little example. Andy, come up. This is the lie that I hear in my head all the time. I'm Jesus. Andy's a sinner. And you know, he's he's walking with Jesus. And it's good. 
And then, then he decides, you know, he, he makes one wrong decision. It could be small, but eventually he starts wandering away from God. And this is the lie that when, when Andy comes to his senses and he turns around, that now he has this bridge that he now needs to come back. And it's got to take him time. So do you know what? He's there. He's maybe missed small group for one week. I can't come back. Lie. You know, you don't have this, you don't have this gap to make up. It's a lie. Oh, he's sitting there. I haven't read my Bible in a couple of days. I, I need a couple of days just to kind of get my head back around it and, and to get back in. Lie. Pick it up now. Oh, I had a couple of beers too many last night. I can't sing worship songs in church. Lie. Absolute lie. Come back, Andy. Andy has this, doesn't have this huge walk that he needs to make, you know. Actually, it's a little bit more like this. The Andy and Jesus, let's walk this way a little bit. They're walking together, arm in arm, because Andy loves Jesus. Don't you, Andy? Yeah. And, and then suddenly, Andy, he, he does something. And, and he turns away from Jesus. And this is, this is what it's actually like. Go on. He's walking away from Jesus. He's sinning badly now. Oh, he went to the pub too many times. Oh, he shouted at that guy when he was in the car. A bit of road rage. Oh, that was awful. Oh, he killed a man with a trident. Well, he should probably lay low, but do you know what? It's okay. You know, I can forgive you for that. Anyway, he's walking away from God. He's, he's, he's sinning. Oh, it's terrible. Look how terrible he is. Oh, the guilt. Oh, the guilt. And then look at this. And he comes to his senses and turns around. And he faces God. <laughs> you okay? I told Andy that I would, I would dislocate my so- shoulder in that little thing if it came down to it. What I'm trying to say to you is that no matter how far you walk away from God, no matter what the wedge is that has come between, it could be tiny. It could be like a little thing like, oh, I'm pretty tired this morning. And, it could be something as simple and as insignificant as that. It could be huge. It could be huge. God is right there. He's right there. And there's no journey back. Jesus has bridged the gap and bridged the gulf already. And how do I know this to be true? Because Jesus told me a story. He told me a parable of a prodigal son who broke his father's heart. But when he came to his senses... And he went back to the father. The father came running. I will never leave you or forsake you. Deuteronomy 31.6. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 18.24. I think that the crowd and the spies by the end of the story were no longer focused on the tax question. But were amazed at Jesus' call to give back to God what is God's. No matter how much of a wedge is placed in between. Maybe if we can click the button one more time. Jesus has stamped out that wedge. Stamped it out. It's no longer there. There's nothing there. There's no, there's no lie that could come back and push that back out and out of that. Jesus has made the way. Worship the Lord and serve only him. Those were Jesus' words quoting Deuteronomy 6.13. You know, when Caesar minted his coin, he took an ordinary lump of metal. And he shaped it into a very specific shape and pressed it and molded it with his image on it. And immediately it was worth a little bit more. Have you ever heard of the term face value? 
so this is when a coin, this is, this is where it was birthed, this is when a coin has, has a value stamped on its face, 5 pence, 20 pence, something like that, but the actual material is worth less than the face value, than that 20 pence. And what happens with that? It gets discarded. It gets melted down and put back together again as something else. But when the face-to-face value is worth more than the value of the materials, then it becomes a collector's item. It becomes desirable, and its value is exponential. When God formed you, when he made you in his image, he molded and pressed and cared and caressed and counted every hair on your head. And immediately, you were worth so much more. You know the value he stamped on you? Priceless. Priceless. You are priceless. And God spent everything to get you back. To get rid of that wedge. Everything he had. So now the gulf is forever bridged. And we celebrated that this morning in our communion time together. And our response is to turn back to him, not worrying about any distance or specific thing that has blocked us. I struggle to articulate all that I've kind of said today. Like I say, normally I'm a three-point kind of guy. And I struggled because I didn't have three points. So it wasn't three take-home points. It was more a journey from tax to worship. It was a reminder of where we stand and a challenge not to let anything come, anything come between us and our walk with God. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how small and it doesn't matter if you kill the man with a trident. The road to God is forever gulfed. I've talked about this before, but there's, I can't even see my screen anymore. But there's the Japanese art of kintsugi where you get a broken vessel and you fix it back together with gold. And the vessel is now worth so much more than it ever was before it was not broken. Just hold that because that's where I want to land today. I believe that in the midst of the melting pot of the politics and the jealousy that Jesus knew that he was heading to the cross and in his love was taking every opportunity to teach his children to give to God what is God's, your life, your worship. Don't allow the whispers of doubt, of negativity, of sin, guilt, shame, or anything to drive a wedge between you and your Savior. Remember you are his. You were made in his image to be in relationship with him. Now you may be here this morning and you may be on top of the world. Nothing distracting you from your walk with God. I love it. I I don't doubt it. But you also may be sitting here this morning and there's heart or there's guilt of varying sizes, like I say, that feel that you've put a distance between you and God. And if that's you, don't forget his benefits. When we find ourselves in that vulnerable position, listening to those whispers that are not from God. Remember whose you are and do something about it today. 
Jesus bridged that gulf. And he's walking so close behind you. Just waiting for that moment. Andy hadn't, Andy hadn't even fully turned around. And I plowed into him. Boom. You are his. You are precious. You are forgiven. You are priceless. You are a collector's item that he paid everything for. And our response? One more click. We respond. We repent. We worship. And we repeat as often as necessary. And we don't... You fall off the horse, you get back on the horse. You don't wait a week. You don't wait two weeks. It doesn't matter if you haven't been in church for three months, three years. It doesn't matter if you haven't read your Bible in three days, three minutes, three years. Get back on the horse. Repent, worship, repeat. We are his. We are molded in his image. Let's stand.